right, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad to see you this morning. I hope you have your Bible with you and that you'll open to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're at today. Last week, we felt the weight of being an instrument by which God spreads the aroma of Christ to all places. As Paul asked the question, who is adequate for these things? Who is up for the task of laying down their lives in devotion to the Lord as a burnt offering? Who is up for the task of being received by some as life that leads to life and rejected by others as death that leads to death? We want to say, not me. I say, not me, I'm not adequate for this. I want to say that like Moses said it or Gideon said it or so many others said it. And in some ways we're right about that in saying, not me. We're right. If we rely on our own strength, our own ingenuity, our own skills, we are not adequate for this task. But we need to hear what God said to Moses, what God said to Gideon. You're not on your own. He said, I will be with you. I will use you. I will make you strong. We've got to remember that God is the one who makes us adequate by his presence, his power in our lives. So that we can say with the Apostle Paul what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. But our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We're going to cover that text next week. He makes us adequate as we live in humble dependence upon Him, as we speak His word to the people around us. Remember that that's what we're called to do at the the end of the text last week. Speak His word with sincerity from God in Christ, in the sight of God. All of those things. We We speak Christ, Christ crucified, Christ risen from the dead. Who's adequate for these things? Well, you are. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are adequate for these things. If you're not in Christ, be warned. Like we talked about last week, be warned. If you are not in Christ, judgment from a holy God is coming against sinful men. But also be amazed that the holy God has made a way for the sinful man to be forgiven of his sins and reconciled to himself. And he made this way by sending his own son to die on the cross in our place, to be buried and to rise again from the dead. And be saved. Repent and believe. Turn from your sins, turn from your rejection of Christ and put all of your trust in him. Find all of your hope in him and do it now. Do it today, don't wait. If you are in Christ, hallelujah. Praise the Lord for that. Rejoice and celebrate. You've got every reason to sing and shout and rejoice. And be faithful. Be faithful to speak Christ. Be faithful to share his word with humility and dependence upon him. Be faithful. We also talked at the end of last week about who's next. I want to throw that question again. Who's next? Who's next to surrender to a call to vocational ministry, to be a pastor, church leader? Who's next to hear God's call to go to the nations as a missionary, to go to the ends of the earth, to take Christ where he is not named, to speak Christ where he is not worshipped, where he's not known? Who's next? Well, this week we're going to continue to see Paul's explanation and his defense of his ministry by engaging whether or not he needs letters of recommendation in order to be taken seriously in Corinth. And I'll just go ahead and tell you the short answer is no. He does not need letters of recommendation to be taken seriously at Corinth, to to minister to them. In fact, the whole idea is absurd. He is their spiritual father after all, right? It's as absurd as if when I go to pick Asher up from the middle school to take him home, before he gets in the car, he says, "Uh, I'm going to need to see some credentials. 
I would say, boy, you would not exist if it was not for me. <laughs> Shut your mouth and get in the car. Right? And, and it's, a, it's a similar thing with the Apostle Paul and the church at Corinth. They would not exist if it was not for him. He doesn't need to produce for them letters of recommendation. And yet that seems to be what they're asking for. And so he's going to engage that today uh, and use this, this imagery uh, of a letter of recommendation. He's going to develop quite fully. So look at it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 today. God's word says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Let's pray together. Well, Father in heaven, thank you for the way you have changed us by your grace through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have made us entirely new creatures in Christ. We were dead, and you made us alive together with Christ. We were lost, and now we are found, and you did that for us. We do not deserve it, so we are thankful. And we are thankful for the people who taught us this good news. We're thankful for those who have invested in our lives so that we would know you and so that we would grow in you. Help us to appreciate those people, uh, to respect them and to listen to them. And help us all to live as a letter of Christ, a letter of Christ known and read by all men. Help us to be the fragrance of Christ spread to all places. We pray all this in the name of Christ. So we're going to be able to just kind of work through thought by thought, uh, phrase by phrase in this text today. And we're going to see six or seven big ideas uh, that, will, that will be developed in the text. Look at verse 1. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? It's likely that Paul's opponents, these false teachers who are causing so much trouble in Corinth, it's likely that they came to town bearing glowing letters of commendation, glowing letters of recommendation. By whom these letters were written, we don't really know for sure. Some scholars speculate. In fact, some scholars even accuse these false teachers as forging letters of recommendation from well-known apostles, well-known authorities in the local church. We don't know about that. That's speculation. But what we do know is that this idea of carrying a letter of recommendation was common. It was common practice in the first century. I love the way Gary Miller talks about this. He's got a great sense of humor, and he says, Presumably every Tom, Dick, and Socrates who showed up on the philosophy circuit had references proclaiming their genius. Um, it, was, it was common practice in the first century. Indeed, this, this same thing is common practice even today, uh, sometimes with actual letters of recommendation. Like I often get asked to write letters of recommendation uh, for students most of the time, sometimes for church members who are applying for a job. Um, we sometimes do this by reference calls. Someone will call and say, hey, do you know so-and-so? What can you tell us about them? What are their strengths and their weaknesses? Uh, sometimes we do this really informally. As we meet new people, we try to establish who do they know that I also know um, because the idea is it's good to have somebody vouch for you, right? It's good to have someone who can speak a good word, who knows you and can speak a good word. This is common in the first century common even in our day. We also know that Paul was not averse to this. 
The Apostle Paul was not opposed to these letters of recommendation. In fact, often at the end of his letters to the churches, he will give, uh, speak a word of commendation to some individual. Uh, like, when so-and-so visits, receive him. He's a, he's a faithful worker. Um, so, something like that. So-and-so is a, is a good partner of mine, and you should treat them well. Like, he's not opposed to doing these things. In fact, one scholar noted that he believes that the entire letter of Philemon, the entire book of the Bible we call Philemon, is an extended letter of recommendation for Onesimus, like that runaway slave. It's basically Paul saying to Philemon, I'm vouching for this guy. So when he shows up, you need to embrace him like a brother. So what, what, I wanna, what I want you to see is that this was common practice, this idea of carrying letters of recommendation, common practice in the first century. And Paul himself is not opposed to it. But it would seem that in light of the impressive letters that the false, the false apostles carried to Corinth and their flattery of asking the Corinthians to write them some letters for their next stop, someone along the way, perhaps these false apostles themselves, someone raised the question about Paul's letters. Someone said to the church at Corinth, it would seem, who vouched for Paul when he came to town? Who, who gave their recommendation for Paul when he first visited you? Did he arrive with a letter maybe from Peter or James or John? Did he show up with some impressive letter of recommendation? And when he left, when Paul left church, did he ask you to vouch for him as he went to his next stop? Did he want you to weigh in on his authority and speak a good word for him when he went to his next spot? No. No, when Paul came to town, he didn't have any letters. He just came and preached Christ to us. And when he left town, he didn't ask for a, a letter. He just left town to go to the next place to pre preach Christ. Maybe the false apostles would say, hmm, he, he didn't have any letters. There are no letters at all involved in this. So you think that's suspicious? Everyone does this. Isn't it weird? Remember, these false apostles are seizing every opportunity to cause the Corinthians to turn their backs on Paul and to embrace them the false apostles, as the authority in the church at Corinth. And we know that they're hoping to get rich in the process. So somebody has raised this question because Paul anticipates it and he asks himself, do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? And Paul's response is powerful. He brings out this image that he's going to develop quite a bit. He says in verse 2, you are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. So the first big idea I want you to see here is that the Corinthians are Paul's letter. Not, not, not the Corinthians in general, not every person who lives in Corinth, but we're talking here about the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is Paul's letter. The gathered body of followers of Jesus in Corinth, they are Paul's letter. The you in the text, you are our letter, is plural. This is not a reference to an individual believer, but to the church. It's not you, Frank, are our letter. No, it's y'all. That would, that would be the plural in, in the vernacular. Y'all are our letter of recommendation. Remember, when Paul came to Corinth, there was not a church there, right? There were no followers of Jesus, it would seem, in the city. But Paul came to town and he preached Christ crucified. He preached salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And many people were brought from death to life by God's grace. And it caused quite a ruckus in, in the city, right? And you remember it got so bad at one point that Paul was ready to leave town. But the Lord spoke to him and said, don't, don't leave town. I have a lot of people in that city. 
I have a lot of people still in that city that need to hear, the, the implication is that need to hear the gospel so they repent of their sins and believe. I've got a lot of people still left there. And when Paul did, after a year and a half, leave Corinth, there was a church. There was, a, there was not a church when he showed up. There were not believers in Jesus when he showed up. And when he left, there was a church. There were people who had repented of their sins, put their faith in Jesus Christ, gathered together as brothers and sisters, as a body of Christ. When he left, there was a church in Corinth. And he says, if you want a letter of recommendation, if you want evidence or proof that I am a trustworthy messenger of the gospel, that I am a true apostle, that I am worthy to work among you, if you want a letter of recommendation, look in the mirror. Y'all are our letter of recommendation. And he says this letter written on his heart. That's number two. This letter is written on his heart. There seems to be an internal emphasis here. Paul indicates that this letter is written on his heart. Deep down, Paul knows what happened in Corinth. He knows what happened with these people. He knows how their lives were changed. In fact, look at this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that speaks of this life change. He says, to the same group of people who are now asking for letters of recommendation, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11 is amazing. He says, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Don't you love that? Paul knew what happened with these people. He says, you know, don't be deceived. Sinners will not inherit the kingdom of God. And don't forget, such were some of you. But you were washed. You were changed. You were justified. You were radically converted by God's grace. You're not who you used to be. He says, y'all are my letter, written on my heart, because I know what happened with you. I know who you used to be, and I know who you are now by God's grace. He also seems to be emotionally involved with these people. He's not, he's not a cold, clinical practitioner of the gospel. His heart is invested with these people, and he speaks about it plainly in 2 Corinthians. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. He says, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. We, we see Paul's heart engaged even as he, even as he causes pain in writing that, that letter, calling them to repentance. His heart's involved. He's not distant from these people. He's really emotionally invested. This is a letter written on his heart. Look at chapter 6, verse 11. He says, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in like exchange, I speak as to children. Open wide to us also. Paul says to these people, my heart is wide open for you. My heart is wide open for you. Open your heart to me as well. Look at chapter 7, verse 2. Make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. I do not speak to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. He says, y'all all are our letter, written on our hearts. I know the change that Christ made in you. And I'm emotionally invested in you. And Arcant Hughes helps 
point out that the form of the verb that's used here has a once-for-all sense of permanency. He says, they were written permanently on his heart so that they could not slip away or be forgotten. Y'all are our letter, written on our hearts, not to be erased, not to be blotted out and wiped away, but written permanently on our hearts. I will never forget what Christ did in you. I will never forget our connection in the heart. Y'all are Christ's letter. This letter is written on Paul's heart. And this letter is able to be read by all men. That's number three. So as much as we talked about the internal component, the letter written on our hearts, there's also an external emphasis here. The whole world, it seems, can see the proof of Paul's apostleship through the lives of the Corinthians. The whole world can read this letter evidencing Paul's authority through the lives of the Corinthians, especially the Corinthians themselves, right? No one knows better about the change that has been made by the Spirit, by the Lord Jesus Christ in the Corinthians than the Corinthians themselves. There seems to be some parallel here to the aroma of Christ imagery from the last few weeks. The last few weeks we've seen that he uses us to spread the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ to all places so that everyone smells Jesus through us. And notice here he says, everyone can read this letter. This is a letter written on our hearts, known and read by all men in the same way that the knowledge of Jesus spreads through the aroma of these people. It spreads through the letter of their lives as well. And the implication is clear. Our Christian lives are not intended to be private. Our Christian lives are not intended to be hidden. Rather, we are to be public and obvious witnesses to Christ everywhere we go. In other words, our entire existence, our lifestyle, and our verbal witness should display the power and the grace of God to the world around us. This is clearly what Jesus wants for us. He tells us that early in his ministry as he gathers his people together and speaks to them in the Sermon on the Mount. He says in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. That that you is also plural. Y'all are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before all men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. He says, y'all are our letter. You want a letter? Look in the mirror. Y'all are the letter. And this letter is written in our hearts. And this letter is known and read by all men. There's an internal and an external component. Read on in chapter 3, or verse 3. He says, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Big idea number four. This letter that Paul is talking about that is the Corinthian church was written by Christ. Written by Christ. Paul's opponents, the false teachers, the false apostles, may claim to have some heavy hitter references that carry weight with the Corinthians. They may say, oh, but this guy wrote our letter, and this guy recommends us. This character that you know, he's the one who vouches for us. And Paul trumps them all, right? Paul puts them all in their place because he does not appeal to Peter. He does not appeal to James or John. No, Paul claims that Christ himself has written the letter of recommendation for Paul in the church at Corinth. Follow his logic here. Jesus is the author of the letter because Jesus is the author of their salvation. They are the letter 
because they've been saved, and they are saved because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So he is the author of the letter. In fact, the author of Hebrews, some would say it's Paul. I don't know. This may be an argument along those lines. But the author of Hebrews calls the Lord Jesus Christ the author of salvation. The author and perfecter of faith. Paul seems to be using a similar image here and saying that he is the author of this letter because he's the author of salvation and salvation comes through him alone. We talked about this a ton during Advent, right? The angel said to Joseph, call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Salvation comes through him. And how does he do that? How does he save his people from their sins? We talked about this a ton in Advent too. He died on the cross in their place, and he rose again in victory. Acts chapter 4 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can save. And Jesus says that himself. In John chapter 14, he said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's why Paul says, Jesus wrote the letter. This letter that y'all are, you all are my letter, is written by Jesus himself because salvation comes through him. He is the author of salvation. This letter was written by Christ, number five. This letter was delivered by Paul. The word cared for in verse three in New American Standard that I just read to you a minute ago is the, the verb that we get our word deacon from. So the word New American Standard translates as cared for is the word that we take our word deacon from. So served would be a good translation, right? ESV and CSV go with delivered by us. Track it here. Salvation came to Corinth in Christ, but that message of Christ was delivered to Corinth by Paul. As in the previous text, the aroma of the knowledge of Christ spreads to all places through us, right? So the message of salvation in Jesus Christ came to Corinth through Paul. In fact, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 10 and, and consider this for a minute. Consider this role of Paul in delivering the letter, carrying the message. Just how important that is, that someone would carry the message. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 8 says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. That's good news, right? For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14 raises a question. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. 
I want to zoom in on that, that quotation from the Old Testament. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. How will they preach unless they are sent? How will they hear unless somebody preaches? You catch the the logic here, right? It is Christ who saves. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they going to do that unless someone preaches? And Paul says, this letter was cared for by me. This letter was delivered by me. Verse 16 goes on and says, However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And Paul knew his role. He was not the Savior. He was the servant. Paul knew his role. He was not the Messiah. He was the messenger. We are called to be the messengers, right? To deliver, to care, to minister. And isn't it amazing? that the Lord has chosen to use us like that. It's amazing that he's chosen to save people through our proclamation of the gospel. Isn't it amazing that he's chosen to spread the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ to all places through us? What a privilege that is to be on the front lines as God does what only he can do. That's number five. This letter was delivered by Paul. Number six, this letter was written with the Spirit. Notice the contrast in the text. The letter that Paul is presenting was not written with ink, like the letters of his opponents and everyone else around. It was not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. I'll just ask, which is better? Uh, Which is better, a letter written with ink or a letter written with the Spirit of the living God? And which would carry more weight, a letter written with ink or a letter written with the Spirit? Of the living God. This letter was written with the Spirit, and number seven, this letter was written on human hearts. Again, notice the contrast. The letter that Paul is presenting was not written on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And again, I'll ask, what matters most? A document or a life that is changed from the inside out? Which matters most? This letter was written with the Spirit. And this letter was written on human hearts. And listen, in all of this, Paul is showing that his lack of commendation letters is no reason to reject him. In fact, in all of this, he's arguing that what he has is better than any recommendation letter that anyone could carry. Why? Because he has fruit of the power of God at work through his life. And that fruit is the Corinthian church themselves. So they must embrace him. They must embrace him, otherwise they call themselves into question, right? If they reject Paul, their spiritual father, who brought them the gospel, then they call themselves into question. In fact, R. Kent Hughes says it really pointedly. He says, if Paul is not genuine, then they are bogus. They're going to go the path of the false apostles, then they put themselves in jeopardy. Now, This is super interesting because beyond merely presenting a superior letter of recommendation, which is all we've talked about up to this point, Paul is also in this text setting up a theme that he's going to develop more fully over the next few weeks, namely the contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant, the ministry of the old covenant and the ministry of the new covenant. And this is seen really clearly at the end of our text, what we just talked about when he talks about this letter being written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. All of that makes us think, 
Old Covenant stuff, Old Covenant, New Covenant contrast. In fact, Ezekiel prophesied of a new covenant that was coming, and he used the very same kind of language in chapter 11, verse 19. He says, and I will, I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people and I shall be their God. He also speaks this way in chapter 36. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all, from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will, give you, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances." It's the same kind of language that Paul is teasing out here, setting up in 2 Corinthians. He's going to talk about this more over the next few weeks. Jeremiah also uses this language in chapter 31. He says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. On their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. I'm not, I'm not going to chase all of that today. But I do want you to see that Paul is priming the pump to talk a lot about the contrast between the ministry of the Old Covenant and the ministry of the New Covenant as it comes up in the next few weeks. For application today, basically from the first part of all this, I want to encourage you who are believers in Jesus to keep, keep serving, keep working, Keep preaching. Keep doing this because God uses us to change people's lives. He really does. Like Paul is saying, you want a letter of recommendation. You want proof that the Lord is at work through me. I'm not going to dig into my briefcase and find a letter from someone who's going to vouch for me. I'm going to tell you to look around and see the fruit of that ministry. Because you are the fruit of that ministry. And so, friends, keep doing the work. Keep doing the work of ministry and be looking for fruit because God uses us to change people's lives. And I want to confess that it is much easier for me to see the failures here rather than the successes. It's much easier for me to, to look around and say, ooh, that didn't go well. <laughs> That blew up in my face. That fell apart. That's like a dumpster fire. These are not fruits of 
God's work in my life, it's much easier for me to see those things than it is to see successes. To, to be able to say, like Paul, look around. You want proof? You want proof that the Lord is at work through me? The pr proof that you should accept me? Proof that you should listen to me? Look around, you're the proof. It's much harder for me to see that. It's much harder for me to say, uh, like John does in, in, his, in his letter, uh, he says, sorry, I, I lost my place here for a second. He says in 3 John, verse 4, Pastor John says, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Yeah, no greater joy than that, and to hear of my children walking in the truth. That feels very parallel to Paul saying, you want a letter of recommendation? You all are that letter of recommendation. You're my joy, evidence of God's work through me. I have a much harder time seeing that than I do to say, I have no greater sorrow than to hear of my children walking in darkness. Like, that's easy for me. The other is harder. But I got to remember, that's there too. It really is. And so, got to keep preaching. If I don't ever see that, if I don't ever, don't ever remember those things, it's easy to get tired and throw in the towel and say, nothing, nothing. There's no fruit. There's no evidence. There's no work. Guess what I'm getting at? Maybe this is just a message for me, and that's fine. Keep preaching. Keep serving. Keep ministering. Keep investing in people because God uses us to change people's lives. And be looking along the way for the fruit of that to be encouraged that God is using you. So maybe, maybe, that, maybe that leads to a couple questions that we can all consider together. Who are the people who invested in you? Who, who, who are the people that came to town and preached the gospel to you? Who, who are the people that taught the word of God to you? Who, who are the people that lived like among you and said, this is the way to walk. Follow me while I follow Christ. Like, come, come on, let me, let me show you how to walk with Christ-likeness. Who are those people that invested in you? For the Corinthians, it was certainly the Apostle Paul. And he's reminding them of that, right? He's saying, you, you want a letter? Look at your life. By the way, he says the same thing to Philemon, right? Not to mention, you owe me your very life as well. Like he, he's, a, he's aware of this. But I, I want us to think about, who are those people in your life? Maybe some of them are in this room. Maybe you look around and say, that lady taught me Sunday school and did a great job showing me Jesus. That friend came along just when I was in the darkness and shined some light into my life. That guy has been a faithful follower of Jesus for like a hundred years. I've watched him and it's encouraging. Who are those people who invested in your life? Who taught you? And showed you the way. Can you think of them? Thank God for them, right? Thank God for those people. You know there are billions of people on the planet that don't have anybody like that right now. No, they've never even heard. And yet you just made a list, maybe a dozen people long, of folks who invested in you. Thank God for them. And let me, let me just also say, thank them at some point. Like if they're still alive, Say thank you to them for that. Even if it was a small thing, say thank you to them because it'll be really encouraging because if they're anything like me, they can remember <laughs> they can remember investing in people and it not going anywhere. 
And they will be super encouraged to hear that it went somewhere with you. Is that fair? Who invested in you? And then the follow-up question is, in whom are you investing? Like you've received, you've received light and life and hope from Christ, right? But through the ministry of some people. Who's seeing Christ through your life? Who's reading your letter? Who's smelling the aroma of Christ in your life? Like who are you sharing with? Who are you teaching? Who are you guiding? Who are you helping? That works through people. What a privilege it is to be involved in that. I fear that in in a church like ours, most of you can quickly identify the people who invested in you. Not, Not hard. Not hard to say, this Sunday school teacher and this deacon and this pastor and this friend and this grandma, whoever. It's not hard to do that. I fear, though, in a church like ours, it's a lot harder to answer the other question. Like we can, we can easily slip into a posture of receiving, passive receiving, and not active ministry that we've all been called to. So I want to challenge you in that today. If you, like, you have a hard time saying, who am I investing in? And if your only default is, oh, everybody can smell Jesus through me, it just happens. Like I, I just want to say, if that's all you've got, that's not much. If that's all you've got, pick somebody out in this room. Say, I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. I'm going to invite them to follow me as I follow Christ. Like, be active and involved in it. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, we are thankful for the work that only you can do. Only you can change us. Only you can raise us from the dead. Only you can make us new creatures. Only you can find us in our lostness. Only you can do that. And As one who has experienced that and is experiencing that, I want to say thank you for your grace, your mercy, your kindness. So I want to recognize that not everybody who's hearing this can say that. Not every person in this room has experienced your mercy and grace through Christ. So I pray that you change that for them today. Like you did for me, I pray that you'll open their eyes to your holiness, open their eyes to their own sinfulness, open their eyes to the sacrifice of Christ on their behalf. You sent Jesus to die for them, and he did, and he rose again. I pray that you would grant them faith to trust in Christ, repentance to turn from sin, follow Jesus. I pray that you would do this for their good and for your glory, ultimately. And Father, I'm so thankful for the people who taught me the good news. many of whom 
are with you now enjoying the reward of their faithfulness, your grace. Thank you for them. Make me like them. Use me. to spread the aroma of Christ to all places. Use me as a letter of Christ known and read by all men. Use me as a bold and faithful witness unto Christ who is the only one who can save. Pray this in his name.